Blessings, welcome each and every one of you tuning in to this episode, episode three of Make Room Podcast. Before we get into it, don't forget to follow our Instagram page at Make Room Podcast, join in the conversation and share. In this episode, we'll be discussing prejudice, discrimination and racism, defining and identifying each one. Joining me as a guest host for this episode is my brother from another mother, Joshua Miller. Joshua is a Chicago-born artist that brings life to the work that he does. He is a playwright and performer whose work looks to explore the identity of what it means to be black today. He is currently working as a teaching artist with Chicago Dance Theatre Ensemble and his play at arm's length is currently being workshopped by artists from Chicago and New York virtually. You're tuned in to Make Room Podcast. joining me for my new podcast (laughs) Um, it's been really it's been a really interesting journey so far but yeah I'm really excited about our topic today I've been looking forward I saw your text (laughs) last night (laughs) it's gonna be a good one honey okay Mm. so for those of you listening uh, this episode is titled prejudice racism discrimination Um, And we'll be talking together, me and Joshua, about really defining the differences between all three of those, because I think that is very important. Mm -hmm. And also how that affects um, certain groups of people in society. And, you know, specifically, we'll probably be talking the majority about Black people in society. Once we recognize the differences and sort of acknowledge our own pitfalls within all of these uh, three categories. I think that is a big stepping stone in terms of us moving forward as a society where we're less, less likely to, you know, have those prejudice ideas towards another group of people and less likely, likely to marginalize other groups of people too. Yeah, I love that. I love that you are also turning it inwards because I think that's something that people don't always do we always like to talk about other people but it's always difficult for us to talk about ourselves and like how we relate to it yes I mean of course and at the end of the day nobody's innocent even black people can fall victim to having very prejudiced ideas towards other groups of people in society you know we can still as individuals, we can still discriminate against other people. I have to say, Joshua, that the main reason why I've been so excited about this episode is because I think this is the the main episode that I've been looking most forward to recording. Um, and I think it's the main episode that actually in- inspired me wanting to start this podcast. 
you know, we had the Black Lives Matter movement protests yeah. happening. When did that start? Back in like maybe end of March? Yeah, probably end of March. Yeah. And I remember, you know, at that point, that's when sort of Facebook kind of went a bit <laughs> wild in terms yeah. of, yeah. you know, you finally yeah. saw people's true colors. <laughs> you, people, I think, you know, quarantine had a big part to play in that. People just, yes. no prisoners were taken. <laughs> it, oh. is. it started this wave of people beginning to one, hold people accountable. Because oh. I think the biggest thing that people we've been missing up to this point was that accountability thing. Oh yeah. I think with all of this, the the biggest thing is accountability. Oh. Like, um, I'm not sure if you've been on, you know, any social media, but recently I just found out that someone that, you know, I considered a colleague and a friend of mine oh. is an overt racist. Like they were, oh. you know talking about how oh I was at the Woodfield Mall yesterday checking out at Bloomingdale's and I was prompted by the card reader to donate to an African-American organization and in my head I was like oh, now the NAACP should know the African-Americans who are 13% of this uh, country um, are 72% of the federal federal student uh, get 72% of federal student aid and I'm mm. like really mm. then goes on to say the African-Americans are one of the biggest reasons and are the most responsible majority for, you know, newly infected HIV cases. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. So That's a big I'm statement. Sitting, I'm sitting in my house and I'm like, are you serious? Because my friend, he had posted something and I was like, what, 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 what? Mm. You know, tag the person in it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? So I had to go on the person's page and like scroll. And I was... I was just flabbergasted because in my mind, you, you think, you know, if I'm sitting down and breaking bread with someone mm. that they value one, my life, but mm. also my rights. But this clearly showed me that this person didn't. Right. But also you have to be careful because what can end up happening is them taking you out of your race because they just know you, but they don't know everybody else. Right. So they be like, oh yes, Josh is black, but he's not like those black people. Right. Which is where I think discrimination and prejudice and racism all come into play at that moment. Because what he said was definitely racist, but it was probably because he had some prejudiced views against people. Mm -hmm. You know, I also want to look at what is said and what we see in the media versus what the true reality is. Right. So, for example, you might turn on the news one day and the first thing you see is man shot on the west side of Chicago or, you know, man killed in London by, you know, black man robs bank, black man, da 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 mm -hmm. And then when you see a picture, it's this picture of him in an orange jumpsuit. Mm -hmm. Instead of when you see a picture of, you know, white civilians who do things, they're usually in regular everyday clothes. It's some right. Picture. Usually, it's a headshot from maybe back in high school if mm -hmm. they're that young still. Or the the messaging that we get from the media should always be taken with a grain of salt. I even tell, you know, um, my fellow liberals, you know, we need to still even question the news sources that that cater towards us and our liberal thinking because still you know, that they, they manipulate. And something that I think about often is this idea of like 
bias mm -hmm. and how in school, like I remember very vividly how a lot of, you know, school or the school system in America tried to teach us about, you know, bias and um, point of view through journalism mm -hmm. and how they were like, oh, can you see how this was biased? Or can you see how this was like, what point of view that they're telling this from? Mm -hmm. And that's totally going over my head. But like now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, like now I see what you are trying to show us essentially. It's hard to have like a non-biased view because there's always going to be something that either you want to fight for or you want to fight against. Right. So you creating whatever you're creating, whether that is journalism or whether that is art, is going to have that voice in it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very difficult to tell the other side of the story that's opposite against yours. Right. Which actually leads me to thinking about this idea of like calling people out. Mm -hmm. because for the longest you know people have always been like black people da, da, da. and I've always been in the mindset of like oh well you don't necessarily want to block them because you might post something that might make them think a different way right but after seeing that post I was like no now I understand why people need to be blocked <laughs> oh like, man you know no, because you, I know. it's protecting your energy it's interesting because I, so I had this very same conversation with a group of girls who um, I hold dear, you know, near and dear to my heart. Um, they're colleagues of mine. And uh, we, were, we were literally talking about the same subject where, you know, we were all struggling. So we all belong to minority groups. So it, within our group, half of us identify as black and the other half identify as uh, Southeast Asian. So we mm -hmm. were having, we were struggling a lot in terms of, you know, discovering people who we've known for years, people who we've been friends with for years, um, you know, coming out on social media, showing their true colors. And some of those um, same people being very vocal in their opposition towards um, you know, the, the posts that we would make in terms of uh, advertising the protests and, and trying to get justice. I think, I think the conversation sparked when someone had asked, you know, I just want to, I just want to get rid of all these people. It's just, it's not doing, it's not doing any good to my mental health. Another girl in the group, she, you know, she, she made a very good point where she said, like, like rightly like what you said, you know, you don't want to necessarily cancel these people. You don't want to necessarily completely delete these people. Oh, and I remember we were specifically talking about people who had still sort of remained silent and it was just frustrating. But at the end of the day, when it comes to people being silent and remaining neutral, it might, you know, you have to take that with a grain of salt because they might not be doing it out of malice. They might not be doing it out of intention. They, they might just not know what the right things are to say in that moment. For a lot of um, white friends that I have grown up having, I could tell that it was just taking them a while to really process what was happening in the world yeah. Yeah. and really pro um, process what they could say that would maybe be of relevance or what they could say or do that would help move the con keep moving the conversation forward i think in those situations 
yeah, don't, don't delete them. Don't, don't get rid of them. I also still think in situations where somebody is very vocal about their um, racist views, I, I still say don't delete them just because like you said, there might be something that you end up posting or saying that reaches them. Keep them because there's still hope for redemption. But when it comes to those who are very um, malicious and very volatile in the way that they've been attacking the Black Lives Matter movement, because I, you know, I've I've struggled through some of those people um, since all of this started um, a few months back. You know, somebody called me a terrorist. Um, it was, I mean. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I, I laugh about it now. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but of but, course, when it happens, you're probably like heated because like, what? Seriously? Mm. Like fighting for my rights makes me a terrorist. Mm. Like saying <laughs> that my life is important makes me a terrorist. Yeah. But I think you're really onto something because just like you said, there are there are other things that you can do. Like, for example, you can on Facebook, like I think when you automatically become a friend with someone, you follow them. So everything mm -hmm. they post, you get a notification. And there are things you can do on Facebook, like you can unfollow them, but still be a friend. Or you right. can say, I don't want to see their posts, but you're still connected to them. Right. But I will say, if people are disturbing your peace and you feel like you cannot take that, then you, by all means, are obligated to mm. unfriend them. Yeah, and I agree. I agree. When it comes to the point where your own mental well-being is put in a vulnerable situation mm. by all means you need to do what you need to do in order to remedy that I also what I did is I challenged um, those same friends to make a post on all their social media that simply says if you don't agree with what I'm saying by all means please delete me remove right. me it, rega it helps you regain power in your position because mm you know, you've, you've placed the, the player at, at check. And yeah, you kind of put the ball in their court too. Right. So if they stick around, it's kind of like, it's their, it's your fault you stick around. Like for me, I feel like something inside of them knows that something that they're saying is wrong and, right. and you know, stupid and racist. Mm -hmm. So they're like, mm, if I unfriend them, does that make me da 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 da? Yes, you saying that makes you like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. But honey, okay, when, I, when I was getting ready for the for this discussion today, I was like, well, honey, let me look up some definitions because, you know, I think definitions always help. the same thing. Okay, ready. So I went, to, I went to two different sources. I went to Urban Dictionary because I just think that they're hilarious. <laughs> and I went to Merriam-Webster. Now, oh. it should be noted that Merriam-Webster is, you know, a predominantly white institution and a lot of their definitions can be in a way biased or in my idea I feel like they beat around the bush but yeah so let's kick it off with prejudice so okay so you 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 go ahead and say your definitions that you have okay. for that word and then I'll follow up with my definition for that word okay yes cool. so this is how Merriam-Webster defines prejudice excuse me Preconceived opinion that is not based or on reason or actual experience. Mm -hmm. I have the exact same one, so. <laughs> the Urban Dictionary definition for prejudice is the quality or condition of judging someone or a group of people before you meet them, 
usually using stereotypes. Right. So let's talk about that because with prejudice, mm -hmm. the way I see it, everyone can fall victim to it. Yes. And when I say victim, I'm not talking about just a victim of be having somebody act prejudice towards you. I'm talking about victim to it as in an acting prejudice against somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone can be guilty of it. Everyone can fall victim to it. Definitely. And I think a lot of the times people get prejudice and racism confused when it comes to they black do. people. They do. Because people are always saying, oh, we're black people are racist too. And it's like, no. We can be prejudiced, but <laughs> we, we can't be racist. <laughs> and we will get into that. What was your um, next word? Because I think okay. discrimination we should go with next and then end yes. on racism. Yes. So discrimination. So this is how Webster defines discrimination. Prejudiced or prejudicial outlook, action, or treatment. And then the second de definition, because I had to get the other one too, because it was pretty good. Mm. The quality or power of finally uh, distinguishing. So essentially uh, setting people apart. Mm -hmm. So then, the definition I go got for it was the unjust or prejudicial treatment of different categories of people, especially on the grounds of race, age, sex, or sexuality. Mm. And then this is how Urban Dictionary defines discrimination as well. So it's action based on prejudice or racist beliefs mm. that results in unfair treatment of individuals or groups. Uh, unjust conditions in areas such as employment, housing, education. And then they took that from the Museum of Tolerance. Mm -hmm. For me, discrimination in many ways is a form of psychological war warfare. Mm. <laughs> discrimination is a means of which you take control of somebody psychologically, right? So right. because it's not, it's, it's never really like physical in, in the sense that you are physically harming somebody. Right. Um, it, can, it can lead to physical harm, but it right. within itself is not physical harm. Well, um, I often think we have to look at the different times that we are that we're living in because right. when you think about discrimination, you know, 40 years ago, it looks different. It looks like separating people because they're black. It looks mm. like, oh, this is the whites only drinking fountain. This is the black only mm. drinking fountain. Mm -hmm. You know, it was more overt. But then it had it all came down to psychologically indoctrinating whoever were members of that society, whether you were those doing the discriminating or those being discriminated against. Psychologically, right. it, it taught that society whose place was where, mm -hmm. um, where people belonged, what those people should be doing, what their role in society was at the time or yeah. still is. Everyone can fall victim to it because it's not just about race. It's about... No, it's also about ability. Mm -hmm. both mentally and physically, because I think a lot of the times as able-bodied people, we are constantly discriminating against people who aren't able-bodied because, you know, we don't think about, oh, you know, well, I can invite my friend who, you know, is uh, using a wheelchair to this theater company, but, oh, do they have handicapped accessible entries? Mm. Like, are there ramps? Do they have elevators? Do they have lifts? Um, you know, when we're creating things and crafting things, I think we're doing a better job of it now 
just because people who are living with disabilities are a bit more visible for us and, and their voices are starting to be heard a little bit more, mm. but we can do so much more. Oh yeah. Uh, and then also the language that we're using, you know, this isn't, you know, someone who, this ain't a blind person. This is a person who has a visual impairment, Right. you know, using people first language. Exactly. Now let's yeah. get to the, to the big boy. Okay, so this is how Webster, Marion Webster, defines racism. A belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities, and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. I think it's important at this stage to note that over the last couple of months, Miriam Webster actually announced that they were going to be revising the definition of racism. So I have a feeling that they've already done so, because it sounds okay. a lot more along the lines of what was being asked of them. So um, the, the woman responsible, um, the fantastic, brilliant mind responsible behind this hey, was not around, not around. Uh, Kennedy Mitchum yes. basically approached Miriam Webster asking them, you know, to revise the definition of racism because racism, and I quote, is prejudice combined with social and institutional power. And it sounds very much so like they've um, taken that and they've remolded their definition to fit that uh, revision. Okay, big ups to black women because y'all really been coming through. <laughs> y'all be leading. Y'all be leading the organizations, the movements. What's your Urban Dictionary de definition? So the Urban Dictionary says that the combination of power and racial prejudice, when the prejudice affects the power. Note that racism can happen with any racial prejudice and any power structure. See, I like that. The definition that I got, prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a peop person slash people on the basis of their race slash ethnicity, typically one that is a minority or marginalized. And I, what, I, what I wanted to point out about the definition that I got is that use of the word typically. Because what I think was happening here is that they were alluding to the knowledge that the difference with racism from those other, those other, um, you know, words, prejudice, discrimination, um, is that power has a big factor to play within it. But I feel like they just didn't go far enough to actually, to fully acknowledge that. Yes, 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 because I think when you talk about racism, a lot of things that people forget is that power aspect. Mm. And that in order to, to fully play out racism, you have to have that power aspect, which comes from discrimination and prejudice. Exactly. If we think of it like, so <laughs> I'm gonna go off topic for a second, but it all applies back. In planting, there are these, you know, there, there are three plants that are called the three sisters and they're supposed to help each other grow and like prosper. And I feel like the three sisters of when it comes to all this racial injustice and all the things that we're currently fighting for, these are the three sisters. So yeah. it's prejudice, which I think is kind of like the root of it. So I think prejudice stems from this idea of a fear that someone has because they don't know something. Um, and then that fear leads to discrimination. So when we're talking about discrimination nowadays, we're talking about hiring practices, we're talking about education, yeah. uh, public versus private education. Uh, from discrimination that breeds racism because what happens is because when we're setting people apart and people are living in different dichotomies in different areas 
Mm-hmm. People are beginning to form these mentalities like, oh, my neighborhood is safe because look, everyone looks just like me. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to worry about the gun violence that's happening in Chicago, even though I live up north and, you know, we have our little petty crimes every now and then, but nothing too serious. Mm. And oh, when I'm walking out with my kids, oh, they need to stand by next to me when I'm passing this Black family's house because you never know what they might have. Mm. Like, honey, you really sitting up here in fear. Right. You have, you have no experience with these people, so your mind gets to going. Right. And that leads back into the idea of it being that psychological thing. Like, it all stems from this idea of fear. Yeah. And something that I really want to touch on is, like, a lot of people will say, you know, oh, honey, ignorance is bliss. Like, if you don't know about it, then you good. Like, no. Mm. <laughs> well, because that's the thing. Um, people say that. And... I think it really comes from the perspective that you that you yourself have because mm-hmm. I feel like if you are a white majority mm-hmm. and you live a very ignorant life where you've not been exposed to the truth of what your your world is um Okay. I think it can be bliss because I think you you sort of lived your life in this bubble, um, but then your bliss is so easily fragile and so then therefore so easily disturbed when you're faced with the reality of what is right. You know when the when the protests started happening a few months back, um, so many people felt so uncomfortable with even saying anything because I think these are people who maybe had grown up in this bubble of blissful ignorance, right? And then that bubble was so abruptly burst at a time when they had no other distractions. Pretty much every major country was in lockdown. Um, People were home from work, furloughed or whatever. And there were very little other things Mm -hmm. to distract yourself from right um from what you were seeing on social media and what was being flooded on your timeline and so i think when we say ignorance is bliss i think for those people it's bliss for a time but it's a very it's a limited it's a limited thing and ignorance is definitely not bliss when you're a black person because i do feel like some black people can for a time grow up in ignorance Mm -hmm. um and have that be somewhat blissful but that, that bliss is then shaken up and their core being is shaken up the moment that they are faced with the true reality of um, what having black skin means in their community. Because okay, you'll see that a lot. You'll see a lot of black people who, you know, don't identify specifically with being black. Mm. And honey, they be the dark, 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 dark. Okay. And I'd be like... I don't know what happened to you in your life. I don't know mm-hmm. what you were taught, but one, it's an honor to have beautiful, dark black skin. Yep. But also you need to know how to guard yourself because it don't matter where, it don't matter where you from, okay? Mm-hmm. You can be from the Dominican, Puerto Rico, Ghana, South Africa. Right. Kenya. Honey, if your skin dark, you black. Mm-hmm people not asking no questions. They're going to assume that you're black. Mm-hmm. You're going to be black to them. Yeah. They're not going to stop and ask you, oh, you know, what's your heritage? What's your lineage? Where are you, where are you, where are you from? Where are your parents from? They don't care. Mm-hmm. When your skin 
is dark, you're automatically black. It don't matter what your hair look like. Mm-hmm. It's so true. In regards to, you know, all of this that we're talking about, this is why it's so important to understand and acknowledge the differences between these three definitions because it's the only way that you can safely navigate through this kind of a world and also effectively make the right changes because if you don't if you don't know the difference then you will your ignorance will actually start to hinder you um in the long run um you know i was having this debate on a facebook comment section of a post where this woman i don't know her you know she's a complete stranger to me she she had just said something about racism and she's she's white she's a white canadian i believe and she had basically alluded to the fact that she herself has at times fallen victim to racism and i kind of had to I kind of had to stop for a second, you know, because when, when people say stuff like that, like people say it often, but right. they don't say often enough that it, it, it doesn't still make you stop, right? right. <laughs> then, then I tried to let her know, you know, I, I, can't, I can't tell you what your <laughs> life experiences are because I, number one, I don't oh, know you, right. but I can 99.9% confidently say that what you experienced was prejudice <laughs> and not racism. Like, and I think that's why it's really important to understand the difference between the three because people will automatically say something is racism. You know, you a white woman, you a white man talking about people are racist towards me. And it's like, no, people can mm. discriminate towards you because you're redhead, because you're a man, because you are a woman, because you are disabled, X, Y, Z. People can have prejudices. Sonny, I tell you right now, I'd, I'd be a little bit apprehensive when I'd be coming up to a group of white kids. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do, mm. what they're going to say to me. I'm going to have to fight for my life. And then even if I do fight for my life, I'm most likely going to be the one who is going to, A, go to jail, be charged because right. I'm a black man. Have to face the consequences. And now here's the thing, because I don't want people to think that prejudice or, or falling victim to a prejudice act against yourself. I don't want people to think that that is any lesser of a severe um, experience, right? Because what we're saying is that all three of these acts are wrong. Prejudice, right. discrimination, racism. Like just because you're prejudiced means that you're better than a racist. <laughs> right. Because the, the reason why I think some white people will automatically try and claim that they're victims of racism is because they feel well because they number one understand that racism you know has slightly more extremes in terms you know slightly more extremes or can go to more extremes than the other two but what they're not realizing is that all three are as equally extreme it's just that the way that they are manifested Mm. um can yeah, have yeah. different levels of extremity, right? Yeah, and so yeah. what we're overall saying is just cut it out with all three. Like, let's just stop with all three. Let's recognize the fact that, yes, as an African, I can sometimes have prejudiced views. For example, as a Zimbabwean, I have prejudiced views against China, China and Chinese people. I, I'm not proud of it, but I can acknowledge it. 
And by acknowledging it, I can catch it when I find myself in a situation where I'm allowing those prejudiced views to affect my um, sound reasoning or sound decision making, right? But at the same time, I'm now asking you as the white person in power to recognize your racism Mm-hmm. Or your or your pitfalls when it comes to racism, or or how you allow it to 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 happen, and and to therefore by recognizing it, make the changes necessary to eradicate it. Right, and I think that's the biggest thing too, is because I think a lot of the times people will say, okay, well, if I admit to being racist, if I admit to having prejudices, if I admit to um, engaging in acts that could be discriminatory against a certain group, how do I not do that? Or how do I not be labeled as a racist? Or how do I change? Or what can I do? Honey, the first thing I say is pick up a book. Please. If you don't want to read a book, honey, to have audiobooks. Right. Yeah. Like, it's so simple to go to a library and or go online, go on Google and say, you know, anti-racist books or uh, books about prejudice, books about discrimination, books about racism. You got to be careful because some of the books might be like for racism or talking about how it's not real. You know, you have to be able to distinguish that. But also um, people are posting things all the time, but also posting isn't enough. Like it's okay to, you know, post, oh, Black Lives Matter is this great. But like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. Are you investing in Black businesses? Are you having these conversations with your family? Are you having these conversations with your friends? Mm-hmm. And it's okay to not know because I can honestly admit that, you know, I'm still learning myself. Yeah. No one is ever going to be like, I am the utmost expert because I know everything. This is it. This is like the end all be all. No. Yeah. No one. Five years from now, there's going to be something new. Right. I wanted to ask you about political correctness. Mm-hmm. Because I think political correctness has been weaponized yes. by many groups of people. Because here's the thing with political correctness, is that it's a new thing that we're dealing with. Because I don't think the last two generations before us really... Mm-hmm had a concept of what it was. Political correctness, what are your thoughts when I say that? Hiding, that's mm-hmm. like automatically what I think of, hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think a lot of people would use the idea of, well, I wanna be politically correct, so I just don't talk about it. Mm. No, you're hiding. But I think it's also difficult because you might want to say, you know, I don't want, I wanna be politically correct about how I address people of color or black people. Let's be honest, you can ask five different Black folks how they identify, and they may identify differently. Mm -hmm. You won't identify as an African-American, one, because you're not American. Right. I might be like, I love African-American. If you ask someone else who's Black, who might be from Jamaica or Trinidad, they might be like, no, don't call me African-American because I'm not, you know, I'm an Islander, Mm. you know. So they might say, I prefer Black. I think that scares people because they're like, well, I don't want to get it wrong with anyone. So I just don't say it. Or I just think of you as a person. And it's like, I'm glad you think of me as a person. But (laughs) now I need you to understand that this person has more depth than what is just my skin. Because a lot of people are like, well, I'm colorblind. And I, no, 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 no. 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 I need you to see my color. Mm -hmm. Because the fact that you're not seeing it is a problem. Mm Mm-hmm. And people might ask, like, how is the fact that me not seeing your color, like, that just puts everyone on an equal playing field? No. No. Because what happens is when I walk down the street, 
in a neighborhood and the police are called and now I'm being taken away in handcuffs. Mm. If you don't see color, you'll be like, well, it was just a neighborhood. Like, well, he must have been doing something wrong. Like, right. No. So when you take color out of it, it makes you blind and you're not able to see where the systemic racism is taking part and where exactly. that discrimination and prejudice are affecting are affecting the world that lives around us. So you you have to you have to see color. I'll say that I don't uh, condemn anyone who is doing their best to be politically correct because mm-hmm. I do think it has a place. But just like you said, it is very very new. Like right. political correctness, really, it came into swing. Like I want to say the earliest I've heard of it was like 2015, maybe. But I think that depending on what you're doing, I think in a casual conversation. If you slip on something and you're not completely political correctness, you have to have that openness to be like, oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't the correct terms. You don't use Indian anymore. You use Native American. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't acknowledge the land that was stolen from the Indians. Like, they didn't, you know, the Native Americans, excuse me, they didn't give you all land. It was taken from you. Which is why I say people hide, because people will want to hide behind the fact that oh well i'm not sure what the politically correct term is Mm. use what you got and we can fix it right because i think i think you've really just said it 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 enables one to remain ignorant Mm -hmm. in situations where by being ignorant you're actually probably putting somebody's life in jeopardy or having a major um, negative impact on somebody's situation in that time like you said i do think to some extent, political correctness has aided in terms of bringing a bit more awareness to how, how language can sometimes have an impact in a way that people didn't originally uh, understand from the beginning. But at the same time, you know, it's got its pitfalls, like anything that's fresh and new, because like we're saying, it's, it's almost been in a way weaponized throughout all these protests. I'm hearing the older generation and keeping in mind that that older generation are still the generation that is in those uh, boardrooms. They're the generation that are in positions of power and leadership. And that generation is saying, you know, this, that our generation, um, you know, millennials and Gen Z, that, mm-hmm. or Z, I should say, that we're the pol- politically correct generation and therefore we're, we're soft right. because they're from a generation where they believe that racism was dealt with already because they're from that generation where, you know, they, they were present when the civil rights movement was happening they were present in the seventies. Um, and so in their mind, you know, we've already overcome those hurdles. We might have overcome those hurdles where overt racism that showed itself in fabrics of society, um, were eradicated, but, we're still in a place where it's still systemic. It is still institutional. It is still having knock-on effects on the, on gen, on the generations that have come to right. follow and will continue to have those knock-on effects because let's not talk about red taping. Which if you don't know what red taping is, it's essentially carving out sections of a city or a country or you know an area where people live in and essentially designating it. Yep. Uh, for a specific race. If you ride through Chicago, you can literally see everything change. I currently live in South Chicago, close to Englewood. Now, if I take Western, which is like a really a main street, if I take that North or South, you can see how the neighborhoods change. 
it goes from having liquor stores, drug stores, you know, mom and pop shops, you know, abandoned buildings to having full on, oh, this is a boutique store and this is, oh, look at this beautiful Menards and look at how this Chipotle is here. Like, I didn't realize how much I live in a food desert until people started rioting and the stores near me started to close. And I was like, oh, wow. I was like, we really don't have access to grocery stores or, you know, nice restaurants or places where if people needed something, they could get something. Mm. Luckily, um, you know, they opened up a really cool uh, soup kitchen right uh, right down the street from my, my house. So people have access if they don't have money. But yes, you know, to talk about people not being aware that things like this happen. Like I was saying, oh, that's what I was talking about. I was talking about, you know, the red taping, but then you also have the um, school to prison pipeline in mm-hmm. public schools here where mm-hmm. there are legit systems in place so that people can fail and go into the streets. Because if you, honestly, if you didn't, well, it's changed because, you know, back in the 2000s, it was, if you don't have a, if you don't have a high school de- degree, you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Now it's a college degree. And if you want to do anything other, you know, than just make a minimum wage job right now, you have to, you know, go get a master's and a PhD. Right. And as a black person, you have to be careful because if you are overqualified for something, they can also not hire you. Yeah. You know, so it's like it's like all these ins and outs. And if you don't understand what we what we mean by when we say this is a systemic problem, mm-hmm. then I encourage you to go watch When They See Us on Netflix which is a beautiful representation of what we mean by systemic. I still haven't watched that the whole way through. Yeah. It's, tra- it's traumatic for me. I have to say that. Oh. <laughs> like, I'm sure you can remember when we watched, oh, also watched 13th, both by Ava DuVernay. Okay. Mm. Shout out to, to Miss DuVernay. No, I know. I think it's really important, especially for people to read up on literature that that challenges them in a sense um so for example um i was recommended these two books by a really close um soror of mine she recommended these two books in relation to the topic that we're discussing today the first book is titled white fragility why it is so hard for white people to talk about racism um, this is a book written by Robin D'Angelo, and I highly recommend this book. The second book is White Rage, but essentially these are books where I feel as though they need to be read by Black people and white people alike. Books that will help you have that mm-hmm. internal conversation, sometimes for a lot of people, uh, especially you know white people, is that talking about race is really uncomfortable for them and I get it maybe the step for you to then take is to read books that have that kind of a conversation and and challenge your thoughts but do so in an internal way where you don't feel judged by maybe thinking out loud maybe it's a safer space for you to start off with and then you can therefore go into spaces where you're having you know face-to-face conversations because I think that's still very important to implement. And two more books I want to add to that is The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, mm-hmm. which talks specifically about school to prison pipeline mm-hmm. and then um, Black Looks, Black uh, Race and Representation by Bell Hooks. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, anything by Bell Hooks you need to read. Yeah. And definitely check it out. If you call yourself a feminist and don't know who Bell Hooks is, honey, are you really a feminist? <laughs> right. 
so let's talk about you know steps moving forward things that we need to keep in mind as we continue down this journey of self-reflection self-improvement and you know self-accountability okay and i think it's a shame that we have spent three months in the house without leaving and we have not thought about this once Mm. and if you are one of those people who have not thought about this once and you've been in the house for three months or you know it's okay if you've been working but once you're done working you ain't got nothing to do because honey the world has been shut down right but we have to begin to start to look within ourselves, mm-hmm. just like you said, and to question things. Like, mm, I just felt uncomfortable seeing a black man walk into this store. Why did I feel uncomfortable? Um, we have to begin to question these narratives that we have in our mind, because if we don't, then we're going to essentially fall back into the same patterns that we've fallen into before. Now, it is difficult to, one, notice the cycle and then break the cycle. Because, and it's going to be ugly, let's be honest, because we're really going to have to ask questions about, one, how we were raised, because I I honestly am a firm believer that racism is not a gene, but it's taught. And sometimes I think about how much, how much not only Black children have suffered through not being educated about their history, through not understanding why, you know, we are being attacked, sometimes having to um, disown their Blackness in order to fit in. But I also think about how segregation and discrimination hurts everyone. It hurts white kids. Now they're not learning and they're not understanding. So then when they're growing up and having these same ideologies and not really thinking about why they feel a certain type of way about something someone has said or something that people are doing, it hurts them and it hurts and it continues to create this, this cycle of hurt and confusion and prejudice and racism. But in order to break that, one thing that we have to move, do moving forward is, like I said, continue to educate. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't like listening to people read to you, there are videos on YouTube. There are interviews you can watch, documentaries you can watch. So the fact that you haven't watched and you haven't sat and learned or you haven't asked, there are questions that you haven't asked, one, yourself, but also to society. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just a red flag. It's like you are choosing to live under a rock. Because to say, I don't know where to go, I think is a cop-out. Honestly, we live in the 21st century. Everything is at our fingertips. There's no excuse for it. It's a self-motivated journey. Yeah. Nobody's going to sit there and hold your hand through it. Nobody's going to sit there pushing you to keep going when it gets really uncomfortable and really tough. Don't expect your Black friends to have to be your guide. They Number one, they do not owe you a thing. And number two, they should not be compromising their own mental well-being to have to try and educate you I mean, by all means ask some questions occasionally you need to be doing it number one for yourself because that's, that's the only way that you can maintain that kind of motivation for the, as long as it is and what's so interesting is that there was a post on facebook where this older white woman was taking part in the protest and she she said you know i used to be racist I used to be an outright racist. I had to really just come to terms with my myself, with my thoughts, with, with what I was doing, with the things that I was guilty of. She says, it's, but the journey isn't over. Like I'm still always bat- battling with it on a day-to-day basis because when you've lived your whole life, living out this indoctrination that you've been taught from the moment you were born, it takes years to unravel that. It's not a thing that's going to happen overnight. And that's it right there. Like these are things that, that take 
years, months, sometimes a lifetime. Like if you think about a lot of the civil rights people, so a lot of them lost their lives for this. Some of them who are still living, but a lot of them who have passed, passed fighting. Mm. I understand that every waking second of your day can't be about, you know, civil rights because honey, we have bills to pay, but it is so simple to search. What are black owned businesses in London? What are black owned businesses in Chicago? You know, like it, it, it's a click of a button. And, you know, I think another important thing is, you know, recognizing on a day-to-day basis situations where you can make a difference. For example, if you see, and in London, we're having a big issue in terms of the spike in stop and searches with young black men on the street and police officers and them just stopping people for no good reason whatsoever. And they just switch up their reasons halfway through. But when you see that happening in your neighborhood, maybe it's happening right outside your front door or it's happening right outside your place of work. Just take the moment just to stand there and at least acknowledge that it's happening. Try and show your support in some way, but perhaps maybe calming down the young black man who is being cornered by these seven, six police officers. And sometimes um, just standing there to be an eyewitness. You know, pull out your phone and record it. Like anything, you can do anything. You don't have to always do it actively. You can do it passively. But right. by doing something, you're making that difference, even though it doesn't feel like it's a, 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 a big thing. A big it, thing. Yeah. It's making a difference. You know, when you, when you hear um, coworkers talking in the office and, you know, somebody says something that just, isn't right and you and you all know that it's not right because everyone always does that awkward laugh calling it out there is no harm in calling it out especially if you're that person who is in a more senior position you calling that out really sets the tone and sets the pace of what what is acceptable and what's not acceptable to say in the office but also i want to say that as a for any people who aren't people of color aka black people or you know brown people Definitely don't feel like just because you did this, that you're now a savior um, and that people owe you anything. Uh, and that's hard. We've been taught that if we do things that we should, we should reap a, a reward. But this is what we're talking about here. When we strip it all back, we're talking yeah. about base human right. rights. We're talking about base examples of humanity and human compassion that's what that's what it is when we strip this all down and that does not deserve an applause that does not deserve a thank you because at the end of the day if if we try and um, apply some sort of a reward-based system on all of this it defeats the purpose and it strips it of its genuineness like Mm -hmm. then I'm not going to know if somebody's truly being genuine by right. their actions or if they're just trying to get um, acknowledgement or accolades or awards mm-hmm. or all of that. People can smell through that BS. It, it just invalidates the whole, yeah. the, the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. It makes it a gimmick and it's not a gimmick. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for your time today. Thank you. Honey, this was great. Ooh.